God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want us to turn to Galatians chapter 5 as we continue in kingdom attitudes. And we're looking at faithfulness today. We've been looking at one of the different characteristics of the Spirit-filled life and of the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to remind you that there's one fruit, but it has nine flavors. But you don't pick and choose. I know if you've ever gotten a package of Lifesavers, some of you just want the... I just always want the pineapple one. I, I dig down through and I want to chew the other ones up real quick so I can get the pineapple. And they always got more of the red ones than they do the pineapple, which I think is an injustice to my taste buds, quite honestly. But we, it, when we're talking about this, it's not that, well, I have peace and I have joy, but I don't have patience. Or I have patience, but I'm not kind or good. Or I'm kind and good, but I'm not faithful. These all work together. They're all in harmony. They all are birthed out of us by the power of the Holy Spirit, the expression of Christ in us and in our lives. But the reality is faithfulness is an endangered word because it's harder and harder to find people who are faithful. What God is looking for is faithful disciples and faithful churches and faithful spouses and and faithful ministries, and faithful giving, and serving. He's looking for faithfulness. He doesn't always find it. And when we let ourselves slip, one of the first areas that I've watched people over 40 years of ministry, that I've watched people let slip is the area of faithfulness. They're here, they're here, I mean, they're, they're all in, they're active, they're involved, and then all of a sudden it's miss, miss this, and then it's missed this and missed this, and then it's missed this and missed this and missed this. And before you know it, you're starting to ask people, whatever happened to so-and-so? Faithfulness is one of those areas that requires discipline and grace. It requires obedience to a faithful God who has been faithful to us and expects of us that we would be faithful. A recent survey said that 60% of Americans claim to be Christians, which is a major joke because if 60% of Americans were Christians, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in right now. Less than 40% of those who claim to be Christians show up for church on a consistent basis. And of those who do show up, almost half are only present once a month. Now, what that tells me is not everybody that signs up, shows up, not everybody says that they're faithful, is faithful. So I just got a question. If I was only faithful to my wife 20 to 40% of the time, would you consider me a faithful husband? Thank you, I got an answer. If I was only faithful to my wife 40% of the time, would you consider me a faithful husband? If you only showed up for work 40% of the time, would you be considered a faithful employee? If you are an employer and you paid people and you only paid them 40% of the time, would you be a faithful employer? If you were an athlete and you only showed up for practice 40% of the time, why are you even on the team? But why is it that the one area that believers justify unfaithfulness in is with the Lord and his church. 
Well, you know, I got to go here, got to go there, got to do this, got to do that. You know, you just hit this, blah, 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 blah. Got to do this. I mean, we would never, ever, ever, ever say to our schools or to our employers, you know, it's, it's supposed to rain tomorrow, so we're probably not going to come. A friend of mine in Louisville sent out a tweet this morning and he said, in spite of the fact that it is projected to be sprinkling today, we will continue to have church. <laughs> now what's sad is, that's true for a lot of people, is that the, the first little thing that comes up, oh, you know, I, I can't go. Listen, I, I've watched people come to church that physically I would have said stay home. And yet they're here and they're faithful. And I've watched people that get a paper cut and you would think that the earth crashed, creation is imploding, and the world is falling apart and mayday, mayday is the word that they're sharing all the time. It's perspective. Do I have the perspective of one who seeks to be faithful to God? Do I want to be, do I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant when I die? Or do I want to hear, I'm sorry, who are you? I, you know, they said, well, Lord, we, you know, we did all these things. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. It, it's, it's the consistency of life. My grandfather was a volunteer minister of music at a Baptist church in Mississippi for 31 years. He never got paid. He was an insurance agent. And he led music for 31 years. Uh, and I think, except for when he was sick, he might have missed two or three Sundays in 31 years. They didn't pay him to be there. He was just there because he loved music and he loved the church and he wanted to serve the church. You see, not everybody that says they're faithful is faithful. Not everybody that signs up shows up. People come and go as they please and we allow that to be okay in the life of the church. But if you're in a business or in a school or on a team, that's not okay. And why do we think that a holy God who has been faithful to give his son to us would think it's okay with us if we're just conveniently where we want to be? So, what does faithfulness mean? First of all, being faithful means being trustworthy and dependable. Being trustworthy and dependable. Somebody that can be counted on. Terry and I have had this conversation. Oh man, we've had this conversation a lot. How come you can never get anything done right the first time? Have y'all ever had that conversation or are we the only people that are not checking Angie's list? Y'all ever had that one? I'm asking, I'm trying to get you to wake up. Have y'all ever had that? I mean, we had a guy that worked here years ago and, and he consistently did his job 90%. And he worked in our in our maintenance area and you know you go by and say well you know you still got to paint that part right there now we're going to get to it and six months later it's you still got to paint I mean he could get the 90% done it's just that other 10% that he couldn't get done Terry and I have talked often about getting it right the first time uh, we've taken her car in three times for the same thing you know, oh, we got it fixed. $645. Okay. Drive it off. Don't even get it home. And it's already doing it again. 
didn't get it fixed. So last time I didn't exercise a lot of kindness and gentleness. On the third trip, I uh, said, what seems to be the problem? I said, same problem I brought in the first time before I've now paid you almost $1,000 and it's still not fixed. Oh, well, we'll get right on that. I said, that happens to be what you said the last time. You know why businesses don't operate well? Because people are not faithful to do what they say they're going to do. I mean, we ought to be. And listen, if you're a Christian, be defendable or don't say you're a Christian. Do what you say you're going to do. Can we get it done right? I mean, I've, you know, you call and get it. You, you, your call is important to us, which means we don't give a rip about what's wrong with you. Your call is important to us. Please hang on. Your call may be recorded. You're number 47 in the queue. Would you like us to call you back? No, I'd like to talk to you now. I'd like to have a phone call with you now. Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Who can find a faithful man? The Good News translation or paraphrase says, everyone talks about how loyal and faithful he is, but just try to find somebody who really is. So being faithful means being trustworthy and dependable. You're a person that keeps your word. Secondly, it means you've exhibited that character trait over a long time. And I've just been faithful for a week or two here and there, but over the long haul of your life, you've been, nobody has to check on you to see if you've done what you said you would do. You, you, you ever feel like, you know, like you ever, you ever told your kids to clean the room and then you got to go check on them 15 times to see if they've actually done it? A faithful person doesn't have to be checked on. You can know it's done. You don't have to check on a faithful person. You go in and you're not surprised. Oh, the job's done. The chore is done. They did what I asked them to do. A faithful person has exhibited it over a long period of time. Proverbs 25, 19. Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. Number three. Faith is a theological virtue, but faithfulness is an ethical virtue. Paul talks about God expects this in our daily living. Faith is a theological virtue, but faithfulness is an ethical virtue. In other words, faith has to do with my relationship with God, but it also has to do with how I relate to other people, that I will do what I say I will do. That Jimmy Draper was telling me that he was meeting with a group of pastors one day and uh, in another state, and he said, uh, he said, how many of you return your phone calls? Not one. So I figure if it's important, they'll call me back. So how, ma how many of you answer your emails? Well, when I get to it, I do. But usually I don't. I just let it go. I don't even send a thumbs up. And he said, guys, if you're going to lead, you've got to respond when asked to respond. You can't just shrug your shoulders. And he said, what I'm discovering is more and more and more and more people are not even doing the kind and good things and they're not being faithful, but they want everybody to be faithful to them. Faithfulness is theological and it's ethical. 1 Corinthians 4.2 It is required in stewards that one be found 
faithful. We are stewards of the grace of God. We are stewards of the word of God. We are stewards of the prayers that have been prayed over us. We're stewards of what God has poured into our hearts. And so faithfulness begins with God, but it's revealed in his people. Look at the quote in your notes by Tim Ritter. I'm glad that someone with faithfulness embedded in their character is the Lord of creation. If I were to experience the repeated betrayals God has endured, I don't think I would have responded as he does. The Hebrew word for faithful means confirm or support or to be established or to be certain. It is a primary attribute of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 33, 4, God is faithful in all he does. The Greek for the word faithful can be both active and passive. If it's active, it means trusting or believing. If it's passive, it means trustworthy or reliable or faithful. So faithfulness is an attribute of God. It's a character trait of God. God can be trusted to do what he says he will do. Uh, I'm, I'm reading... Max Lucado's newest book, I started it yesterday, on hope. And it's all built on the promises that God has made. That God has been true to his promises and will be true to his promises. But there's an interesting thing in the first and second chapter where he talks about someone has been a student of going through the scriptures and looking to see how many promises there are in the Bible. And there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. But... They are promises of God for the consequences if we do good. And they're also promises of the consequences if we do bad. And don't do what God says. You see, we, we always want God to fulfill the, well, God, you said you would do this. Yes, yes, I did. But if you don't obey the word of God, there are consequences that are bad. Ask Israel. They ended up in captivity. I mean, there are consequences both ways, but the promises of God are sure and certain. Just as much as the sun is going to come up tomorrow and the, and the moon is somewhere in the sky at any given time of day, there are the promises of God that are even more sure than the sun and the moon. Amen. God has created the universe. It's not in chaos. It's in order. Every star is in its place. You don't, you don't go out into the sky and look up in the sky, get away from city lights and go out in the country and look up at the sky and go, hmm, wow, honey, come here. The Big Dipper moved. That's over here. Yesterday it was over there. It's always where it has been since God spoke it into existence. Now, if God can keep a Big Dipper in place for thousands of years, don't you think he can keep his promises to you? The question is, can we keep our promises to him? Can we do what we said we would do? I, I, I always love it when uh, we get time to meet the need and people fill out pledge cards and say that they're uh, going to, you know, I've prayed about it, I've sought the Lord, and I'm going to give this much to meet the need and then at the end of the year, there's just a report. I don't know who gives what. I don't know how much. Any, I don't know any of that. I just know that every year we have dozens of cards that have been filled out with an amount and nothing given. That's not faithful. That's lying in church, what that is. 
But boy, I tell you what, Lord, I just need to be healthy. I need a job. I need a job, Lord. Lord, I need to be able to go to work. I need to be able to, Lord, I need to take care of my kids. Lord, I need to go to college. Uh, Lord, I promise I'd give you $50 this year. I hadn't given you a dime. But Lord, you are going to be true to your promises, aren't you? Listen, God is not a bellhop that can be slapped around and treated however we want to treat him. He is faithful to those who are faithful to him. It's a Christ-like response. 1923, Thomas Chisholm wrote the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, which we sang earlier. It's interesting that the, the verse, the, the title of that hymn, comes from Lamentations 33 and verse 23. Not, at, not in a book of happiness. It's in Lamentations. Most of us would like to avoid Lamentations for a number of reasons. But it's in Lamentations, and it's at a time when Israel has been captured, the temple has been destroyed, the people are in exile, but the prophet writes these words and says, God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. So let me just read the words to you again. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 Beside, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. I'm glad the hymn writer nor the writer of Lamentation said, pretty good is God's faithfulness. He says, great. God's faithfulness is great. Now, how has God kept his promises? Well, we can look at history and see how God's kept his promises. He kept his promise with the covenant in Israel. Remember, he made a promise with uh, Abraham that he would create a great nation. So the covenant with Israel is a sign of his promise. His new covenant with the church is a sign of his promise. And you say, well, Israel forsook him and they were sent into captivity, but there's still a purpose for Israel. There's still a purpose that goes all the way through to the end of time in the book of Revelation. God still has a plan and a purpose for Israel. He didn't dump them. He just put them to the side for a minute while the church, and we live in the church age, God is working in us, but he, he's made a covenant with the church through Jesus Christ. And he loved the church, and he gave himself for the church. He's coming back for the church. And so if you want to know why you ought to be a part of a church... It's because that's what God's coming back for. God did not say, it's interesting that the books in the Bible are written to churches, not to just specific individuals, unless it is to a specific individual, like Timothy or Titus or Philemon or somebody like that. But when you get to Corinth and when you get to seven churches in Revelation and Romans and Galatia and Philippians and Ephesians, all of those are written to churches. Guess what? You didn't go to church. You didn't hear the letter read. 
Christ loves the church. Now, he doesn't like everything the church is doing or doing in his name, but Christ loves the church. The reason to be a part of the church is because Christ died for the church. He speaks to the church. He's coming for the church. He keeps us in the love of God. That's one of the ways he keeps his promises. God doesn't look at us and say, oh, there you go. Last time, writing you off. God keeps us in the love of God. Whether we deserve it or not, whether we are living like we're supposed to or not, God keeps us in the love of God. He keeps us. He holds us. He sustains us. His promises and principles are eternal and timeless for every generation. God means what he says and says what he means. The prophets, the, the psalmists talked about the faithfulness of God's promise. Even in the darkest days, they talked about God's promise faithfulness. The very existence of Israel is a statement of the faithfulness of God. He kept his promise to Abraham. He gave him an heir. He kept his promise to Israel, bringing them out of slavery. He kept his promise by giving them the land and returning them out of captivity. He kept his promise to the Jews and to us by sending Jesus as the Messiah. Hebrews 11 is the story of the faithfulness of God and the faithful people of God. Now, if I was God, I wouldn't do that, nor would you. They cry out, God deliver us, God deliver us, God deliver us, and then God delivers them through Moses, and the first thing that I mean, they don't even get their beds laid down outside of Egypt, and they're walking out plundering Egypt of all its resources. And they don't even get their beds laid down and they're whining and complaining. Which lets me know that God did not deliver the Israelites. He delivered the first Baptist of the world. Those were really Baptist. And he delivered them and they started complaining. They murmured and they, just, just say murmur three times. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Now say it, say it louder. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Can you imagine two million people doing that and you're in charge of them? In fact, God got so sick of them, even though he called them out through Abraham, had given them a land, promised them a land, God got so sick of them, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to wipe them out and start over with you, Moses. If I had been Moses, I would have said, that is a great idea. I'm going to love being in a church of one. I don't have to put up with any of this stuff. That's a great idea. But Moses pleaded for people that didn't deserve to be pleaded for. They had been unfaithful, but God said, you've got to be faithful, Lord, even though they've not been faithful. And they grumble, they complain, they whine. God feeds them. I mean, they don't, nobody has to cook. He feeds them every day. They complain about the food they're getting. Sounds like a five-year-old. Or a Baptist. I mean, they send a committee out to check out the land. The land that had already been promised, by the way. The land that had already been given to them, by the way. It was already theirs. It was signed, sealed, and delivered. They just had to go in and take it. And they sent a committee, which is why God doesn't like committees. They sent 12 people in. 10 people said, no, no, they're giants. They're giants in the land. 
Well, what did God say? Doesn't matter what God said. They're giants in the land. Well, what's this that Joshua and Caleb bring bringing back? All this fruit and these grapes the size of watermelons. What, what is all this going on? Yeah, but there's still giants in the land. You know what the ten said? I don't care what God says. We're not going to do what he says. They shook their fist at God and their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren had to walk around and eat dust for 40 years because they wouldn't be faithful to take God at his word. You know why there's problems generationally in our country? is because somebody shook their fist at God and said, I don't care what God says. I'm not going to do what God says. And it affects their children, their marriage, their grandchildren, their children's children, and they wonder where God is. God is right where he's always been, ready for people that will listen to him and follow him. The story of salvation is the story of God's faithfulness. John 17, 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. The story of the church is the story of God's faithfulness. I mean, the early church did what God told them to do. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, and they actually did it. There are people in every church of every denomination in America that have been trained in evangelism not doing anything with it. Doing nothing with it. I mean, ask yourself the question, when's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? Anybody? Anywhere? Anytime? Well, I'm not trained. You got a story? Christ changed your life. Be faithful to tell your story about what God did for you, how he changed your life. Well, I don't know enough scripture. I'm not sure those disciples knew enough scripture, but they knew this. Go do what God tells you to do. And they were faithful in prayer. They went and prayed. Now, during, during refresh this week, Bob Bakke had us pray. He said, I need us to pray for about four minutes. And Bob said this in a really kind way. But after about 35 seconds, it got quiet. Now, let me just give you a principle here, all right? If you can't pray for 30 seconds with four other people, you're probably not praying at home either. Because praying out loud with a group of people is an overflow of the praying that you've been doing on your own with God. Otherwise, it's praying to be seen of men. So what did the early church do? They prayed and they shared the gospel and thousands and thousands and thousands of people came to faith in Christ. It's the evidence of following God. Why do we look at the book of Acts and say that's the model? It's because they did what God told them to do. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, the one who calls you is faithful. Our faith is rooted in the faithfulness of God and our faithfulness is rooted in the love of God. Christian Wright said faithfulness, honesty, and trustworthiness are qualities that commend the gospel to those who have not yet come to believe it. Some of you remember when Bob Bakke was here last year and he preached out of Romans 16. It was on a Wednesday night. And he preached through the names in Romans 16. I mean, when he announced that, I thought, where is he going with this? Because I know how most believers do. They read their Bible, they get to the genealogy, and they just, whoop, they just skip through it and just get to the good, good stuff. Well, in the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God, God chose to include the names of people. 
the names of the tribes, the names of the sons of those who were in the tribes of Judah and of Israel, the names of the disciple, the names of the people that worked with Paul and, and traveled with Simon Peter. And he, he names people. And Paul, when writing the word, he could have easily said, easily said, and I had some people with me, but he didn't. He talks about faithful brothers, Timothy, Epaphras, Onesimus, Tychicus, Apollos, and Luke. He mentions women who, quote, worked hard, very hard in the Lord. Priscilla and Phoebe and Mary and Junia and Persis. These were people that stayed with him in tough times. They voluntarily stayed with him when he was under house arrest. They ministered to him. They helped carry out the ministry. Paul talked about Silas. Uh, Peter talked about Silas in 1 Peter 5.12 as a faithful brother. The apostle John mentions Gaius as faithful in the truth and being faithful in what he is doing for the brothers and the sisters. So how is faithfulness revealed in your life? Well, most of the names in the Bible are faithful people. But then you got a few that show up. Diotrephes, who loves a preeminence. Anybody in here name their kid Diotrephes? I wouldn't advise it. Demas, who has forsaken me, having loved this present world, wouldn't, wouldn't name my kid Demas. Nobody's naming their kid Judas. Why? Because the name Judas instantly implies betrayal and unfaithfulness. Nobody's naming their kid Absalom. He's a rebellious son. Now, when you see people naming their kids after people in the Bible, they're naming them after faithful people in the Bible. God gives us names at times to show these are people. Study their lives. See what they were like. These are people who stayed faithful enough that God said, you're going to make it in the book. Your name is going to be in the book because you're in that great cloud of witnesses. There are revival leaders who are faithful. Jeremiah Lamphere, who started the prayer revival of the 1850s, it started on this day in 1857 with one man believing that God wanted to send revival. By the end of an hour of prayer meeting, there were six people there, and in a matter of six months, there were 100,000 people praying in New York City. Businesses closing up, all because of one man. Now, you don't know the name of the mayor of New York City in 1857, but if you know anything about revival history, you know Jeremiah Lamphere. Prayer leaders, faithful lay leaders. So how do we become more faithful? Four things. First of all, remember God is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Secondly, respect the Lord. Second Chronicles 19.9. He gave them these orders, you must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. Thirdly, remember your vows, Ecclesiastes 5.2. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. A.W. Tozer said, the Bible recognizes no faith that does not include it lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin. 
So remember God is faithful, respect the Lord, remember your vows, and remember to be faithful to the church and to others. There are 13 people in the Bible that the Bible specifically uses the word faithful to describe them. That's homework you can look at at another time. But you know who some of the most faithful people are? They're the people you don't know. They're the people that serve quietly, do their jobs, do their business, and you may or may not know them. In over 40 years of ministry and almost 29 years in this church, I've got multiple stories of people that have been faithful. And there are a lot of people in this church that are now with the Lord or they're very sick. And they were faithful. I mean, you could count on them. I mean, you could set your watch by them. That you could count on them being here, doing what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing it. I mean, you could just count on them. But I can remember several of them coming to me when they were in their 80s and saying, I physically can't do this anymore. Their heart was in it, but their bodies wouldn't let them do it. They didn't come to me and say that in their 30s and 40s. They said it in their 80s. I physically can't do that anymore. Let me ask you something. Would God look at our lives and call us faithful? Would God see us and say, there are people that I can count on? John Wesley was asked, what would you do if you knew at midnight the next night you would die? This is how Wesley replied in his journals. He wrote this. Well, I would do just what I intend to do. I would preach at Gloucester this evening and again at 5 o'clock tomorrow morning. I would ride to Tesbury and preach in the p.m., I would meet the societies after the meeting. I would go to Martin's who have invited me over for entertainment and I would retire at 10 o'clock. I would commend myself to the Holy Father, lie down to rest, and wake up in glory. What would you do if tomorrow at midnight you were to die? I would do just what I'm planning on doing now. That's faithfulness. I don't have anything to clean up. I don't have anything that I'm going to try to mess up. I don't have any person that I'm not right with. I don't have anything. You see, we all live as if we have got every day for a gazillion years to get this stuff right. And we keep putting it off, and we keep putting it off, and we keep putting it off. And one day, we're not going to be able to put it off anymore. And what will be said about us will either be that we were faithful or that, you know, great person, great man, great gal, great mom, great parent. But boy, when the rubber hit the road, you just could never count on them to be there. How will it be with you when you hit that midnight and lay your head on a pillow and wake up in glory. Will you have been faithful? 
Let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't know what the Lord might have said to you this morning, but as we're in an attitude of prayer, If faithfulness has not been a driving characteristic of your life, you may need to come to the altar, not just to try to get rid of some momentary guilt that you have, but at, but at the moment to say, Lord, I admit, I confess that I've not been faithful. I've not been faithful to you. I've not been faithful in areas of my life. And I come to you today to say, Lord, my desire, my heart's desire is to discipline my life in the power of the Holy Spirit to be faithful to you. Not everybody's going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know if any of us, if we were honest and knew the realities of Scripture, would ever want to face God at the judgment seat, which we talked about this week during Refresh, and find that our whole lives of being members of a church was nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. That can happen when we live for ourselves, when we think only about ourselves, when we only want to do what's best for us. Uh, we can be religious and we can call ourselves Christians, but at the end of the day, we're not faithful to dying to ourselves, laying down on that cross and dying daily and giving ourselves wholeheartedly to God. Listen, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll be faithful. So if you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you won't be faithful. It's just really that simple. But if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you will let your yes be yes and your no be no, and you'll be consistent in your life. So we're going to sing this song. If you need to come to the altar, if you need to ask Christ into your life today, then you come and do that during this time. But there's a word in this song I don't want you to miss. Always. Always. It's an important word. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. But can Jesus say of us, They are with me always and in all ways. That's important. Let's sing it. <clears throat>